Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. It, it feels like it's been forever since we've done one of these, which it hasn't, but it feels like it. it no, it has been forever. It borderline an eternity. I mean, I feel like the last time we did this was in the 80s at this point. It's just, it's been a while since we've had a nice full-length podcast. It's been our beautiful Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast, which you should go back and to listen to, by the way, if you haven't. Yeah, if you are not listening to those, we had uh, we we pushed out 12 podcasts over the course of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, plus a little bit in November. We had guests like Madison Horn, um, Debbie Gordon, Leslie Carhart, Eric Byers, Mike Nelson, Victor Adkins, Dino Busalaki. Tons of people came on, talked about all kinds of different stuff. Um, yeah, it was great. Listen to those. They were terrific. But we haven't done our our standard long form podcast in quite some time. And it's just, it's like a big warm hug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's welcoming, uh, welcoming us right, right back to where we were before. So I am, uh, if you haven't figured it out yeah, Gary Cohen, one of the hosts of this podcast. And I am host dose Tyler wall. Very, 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 very happy to have you back. Uh, the thing we haven't gotten to do in a while because the cybersecurity awareness month podcast were just like quick, right to the point. Um, which maybe you like that better, but Tyler and I like rambling. So uh, we haven't done our question of the month in a while, a question of the pod in a while. Um, we are steamrolling toward the holidays here, Tyler Wall. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we've got uh, some holidays coming up. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to I'm gonna jump a holiday ahead here and ask you, Tyler Wall, what was your favorite holiday gift as a child? That is a Great question. Let's see. Um, most memorable, the one that sticks most, out. I would say most memorable was, oh man, how old was I? It might have been 12, 11 or 12. Um, trying to remember when it came out, but I know I'm using the pronoun game right now. But uh, so when we were, when I was 11 or 12, you know, my brothers were 10 and then I think eight. Uh, we really wanted an Xbox 360 for Christmas. Um, and we got to the end of like opening gifts and there was no Xbox 360 and like, we were all doing our best not to look disappointed. Right. You know, we were just, we were excited, but then they pulled a, but wait, there's one more thing. And then they pulled it out of the back room and then there was an Xbox 360 and we played that thing pretty much into the ground. I think that's one of our most used, um, gaming devices growing up aside from like you know your ds 3ds stuff like that but as as a uh, a system where we were all playing together we we ran that thing into the floor playing a lot of different xbox 360 games so i would say that one was probably probably my fave my most memorable for sure just because of the the last second steve jobs one more thing uh how that all how that all kind of played out from the back room that's an excellent gift and very crafty on the part of your parents. I know. They really teased it out there. It's like they kind of <laughs> yeah. wanted to watch us squirm a little, you know, make sure they knew we weren't going to throw a tantrum or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I'd ever do that to my kids. I don't know. I mean, I, I, maybe I would. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it felt like it's I was part trick. of a social experiment a little bit. Um, but I mean, I got what I wanted at the end of the day, so it's not like I lost. The amount of times I raged during while playing the Xbox 360, there was one game I liked in particular, Need for Speed Most Wanted. And I remember trying to unlock the different like body body styles or whatever. 
and I would I would mean I would throw Xbox controllers like it would <laughs> it would get so bad bounce into the wall hit the TV sometimes never I never broke anything so I wasn't whipping it quite hard enough but I there I have a lot of feelings around that Xbox. So what you're saying is your parents immediately regretted getting you the Xbox they, 360. They learned to regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, since we're here on a cybersecurity podcast, why don't we talk cybersecurity for a few seconds? I know this is your guys's Christmas present. I think is the new episode of the ICS Pulse podcast. Um, early Christmas present or holiday present uh, or Thanksgiving yeah, so present. I, yeah, just day present. Yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving present. So recently, relatively, I use the term recently very loosely here. I was at Black Hat in August and, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of different people there, you know, walking around the show floor, doing some interviews. One of the people I talked to was a fantastic gentleman named Ganesh Chappella, excuse me. Uh, He is the head of support services at Zoho Corporation. Um. He talked to me a lot about, you know, large language models, LLMs, and their implications for the ICS OT space, as well as just general cybersecurity, because, you know, cybersecurity is important, and AI is kind of where we're heading towards in the future. Uh, If you don't know uh, what an LLM is, uh, which I already said is a large language model, but think like ChatGPT, your Bards, your, I think... uh, um, Elon has his own LLM now. Uh, th- things like that. That's what an LLM is. Yeah, and this stuff's re- I think going to be really interesting and then also impactful because it's, as we all know, AI and especially large language models are going to be used by the attackers and the defenders. They're already being used by the attackers and defenders. He, he mentions uh, during your conversation with him, Tyler, that AI is already reducing incident response times. There's, I, I think it was a Microsoft survey. Maybe it was IBM. I'm mixing them up. Uh, but said that it, it uh, AI is now increasing efficiency by 18% as far as incident response. So there's a lot of good stuff out there, but uh, but the attackers are using it as well. So, and, and you know, with, with these large language models, you can train them. If we wanted to make an industrial cybersecurity pulse podcast large language model, we could use a chat GPT and train it on what we want to train it on and then throw it onto the website. And so, um, you know, people will be using this sort of stuff for you can train it to 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 attack, you can train it to defend. There's all sorts of different things you can do. Yeah, and the fun thing with it, well, fun, I use as a relative term here. Uh <laughs> Very interesting, uh, you know, with with threat actors, they are within or they sorry, they don't have any sort of guardrails with this kind of thing. Right. They can do whatever they please um, because they have no moral code or whatever you want to call it. Uh, whereas with us on the defender side, I mean, there's going to be regulations in place to help guide AI moving forward and what we can and can't do. So. It's a lot of catch up for us on the defender side with what the um, uh, the the threat actors are doing, and you're just trying to trying to keep up with them a little bit and and defend as best as possible. And large language models are are one of the ways we can try kind of try and help do that. Whether that's through you know vulnerability management, uh, threat identification, threat detection, um, things of that nature. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Threat detection, remediation, but again, are also going to be used. And, and we've talked about this with a few people, but we talk about it in this conversation too. 
that they're going to be used to create more elegant and effective social engineering attacks. They're already being used for that kind of thing. So uh, there are definitely some uh, some some red flags, some warning signs here on the horizon. Oh, for sure. Uh, so what do you say we uh, we introduce him and uh, get the conversation going? Let's say you introduce him and I'm going to sit here quietly. Mm -hmm. I will. So Ganesh is the head of support services for Zoho Corporation. He has over 15 years of experience in IT security and networking. He has been with Manage Engine for over 13 years and has conducted various IT workshops, seminars, and user conference presentations uh, for their various products. He also provides an on-site training and consultation for Manage Engine customers and helps them with architectural designs for product implementation and deployment. Uh, let's bring in Ganesh. All right, so we're here live at Black Hat in Las Vegas. I'm here with Ganesh. Um, so thanks for joining us. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for meeting me here. Yeah, so uh, with all these interviews, we'd like to start off with asking you about your background, kind of how you got into cybersecurity itself. So yeah. how did that come to be? Yeah, sure. Um, just to introduce myself, my name is Ganesh, and I've been with Manage Engine for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. So our company name is Zoho Corporation. So under the brand Zoho, we build business collaboration and productivity apps. Mm -hmm. And under the title Manage Engine, we build enterprise IT solutions. So mm -hmm. we have a portfolio of more than 60 plus point products, mm -hmm. focusing on various areas of uh, enterprise IT and OT network security systems. Mm -hmm. Um, we have solutions ranging from uh, enterprise service management, operations management, identity and access management. So, yeah, before Manage Engine, I worked in a couple of other organizations. One is Symantec and Dell. So, yeah, overall, I have about 18 years of uh, cybersecurity experience. And with Manage Engine, I've been there for 15 years. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a decent amount of time. How did you get into cybersecurity even to begin with? Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I was quite fascinated about uh, cybersecurity. Uh, I play a lot of games, mm -hmm. and I was like pretty involved in terms yeah. of uh, security uh, solutions, mm -hmm. black hat and white hat and yeah. stuff. I also did my um, computer science in my college, so once I completed that, I had two choices. One, I could go into uh, software development, mm -hmm. or I could get into cybersecurity space where you know I help uh, organizations build their uh, cybersecurity architecture. Mm -hmm. I provided some consultancy for a lot of organizations, so that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. Very nice. So let's kind of get into the conversation here. We'll kind of start with AI-enhanced reactive and proactive tools. Mm -hmm. um, so how can AI algorithms improve the efficiency of reactive cybersecurity tools? Um, so AI by nature has the tendency to be able to crunch a huge volume of data. And uh, as you know, in this day and time, data sets are the new gold. So the larger your data set, the, the more efficient your AI is going to be. So in that mm. sense, there's no question of whether or not enterprises and uh, organizations should look at AI. So they don't have a choice anymore. It's mm -hmm. been a few years now, so it's kind of fortified. The fact that if you are not leveraging AI, you're going to be left out. Mm -hmm. So there's no question about whether or not we should use AI. So, well, there are different kinds of AI systems in place. Obviously, in the last few years, we had the... Uh, a few months, the emergence of uh, large language models like ChatGPT and so mm -hmm. on. So there's also a traditional AI model where you could build your own engines. There's a lot of open source uh, AI systems in place as well, mm -hmm. so you could leverage them. So in terms of cybersecurity, um, in the last few months, we've seen uh, exponential growth in um, a lot of uh, malwares and spywares mm -hmm. that are being generated with the help of these large language models. So by its very nature, uh, 
it's a quite powerful tool, so we could use it for uh, you know defensive purposes. Uh, there's also malicious actors out there mm -hmm. using it to you know uh, try to penetrate uh, critical infrastructures. Yeah, I mean, so we've had a lot. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about AI more recently, especially with other uh, cybersecurity practitioners. And a lot of what we're hearing too is, I mean, phishing attacks is yeah. going to be one of the bigger, uh, or at least social engineering as a whole attacks are going to change greatly. Yeah, that is true. I mean, we've all uh, received at least a couple of uh, scam emails or yeah. mm -hmm. shock messages, and um, well, generally. Um, these emails and messages will typically have typos, grammatical errors. It's really easy to, you know, uh, isolate the ones and ignore them. But, I mean, imagine uh, a large language model writing these phishing emails, right? So they have the knowledge and the, the capability to write um, phishing emails that are, you know, they use the right war jargons at the right time. And mm -hmm. so even a tech-savvy person would might fall for a, a, such a phishing scam. So in that mm -hmm. sense, yeah, so the, the leverage of these... Um, large language models and AI in the context of uh, mm -hmm. cyber threats are are equally as important as uh, how we're going to leverage it in terms of a defensive uh, security force. Yeah, and let's actually get into that. Uh, in what ways can AI assist our predictive, our predicting potential threats and enhancing proactive measures? So it all boils down to um, the data set. So um, the general presumption with the organizations is that. Uh, organizations generally generate a huge volume of data, right? So everything from simple system events to, you know, logs, the bandwidth collected and all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, these data are seen as obsolete, right? So if you have data for more than like five years, you probably have it archived or, you know, deleted after three years of, uh, you know, retention policy. But that's changing now. With the rise of these models, uh, enterprises are looking at leveraging this data. So if you have like six, seven years worth of data, it could be any data. It could be like event logs, system logs, security logs, or something as simple as um, attendance tracker for your employees. Mm -hmm. So this data can be um, um, utilized in a way where you could use your own open source large language model, train that model using that data to get valuable insights. So um, th these models have the ability to um, identify patterns with the way your organization operates, mm -hmm. everything from uh, physical security to cyber security, you would be able to you know, improve uh, the effectiveness of your processes in place. Mm -hmm. um, so it all boils down to how uh, you leverage uh, the AI in terms of uh, what data you have. So the key point there is the data sets that um, that generally the enterprises thought as, as obsolete, obsolete mm -hmm. is no longer obsolete. You, know, you could mm -hmm. use it uh, even today. Do you have any, I guess, uh, examples or case studies offhand of how AI has uh, reduced instant response times at all? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think just a couple of days back I saw a, a study, um, a research conducted by IBM, and um, they found that um, leveraging AIs uh, in incident management has increased the efficiency mm. by about 18%. Mm. So... Um, there are there are systems in place where you can hook it up with AI to automate you know threat detection and remediation instead of waiting for your traditional uh, incident response team to jump mm -hmm. in and identify and isolate and quarantine the threat. Uh, you could leverage AI to mm -hmm. automate a lot of those areas. I mean, there's yeah. there's uh, various areas where you could apply AI, everything from threat detection to remediation. Uh, but it all boils down to the fact that mm, if you have a, a, a dedicated uh, incident response team, mm -hmm. they would definitely use or should use AI uh, to improve and enhance the uh, response times. Mm. Uh, so 
kind of swinging over into more LLM-based bots. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, first of all, can you explain kind of what they are, but then also can you get into how those bots are becoming more valuable for enterprise IT and even maybe some of the implications for OT? Yeah, so LLMs are quite different in nature <clears throat> when, it, when it's compared with the traditional or conventional AI yeah. uh, for the fact that large language models are generally based out of tokenization. So they are pretty good at predicting things um, and they generally have a, a transformer-based architecture with mm-hmm. a, a self-attention mechanism. <clears throat> like self-attention is where it knows what it does and based on the output it projects, it improvises over time. Mm-hmm. And that that's what makes these large language models powerful, especially in, um, uh, well, general usages would be text generation or translation services or even image and video generation services. And there are quite a few large language models out there, like GPT is probably the most popular these days. But yeah, beyond all the hype, uh, there are some really good large language models, open source models. Um, that uh, enterprises can leverage. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, mm-hmm. a service that you have to opt into. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a good cybersecurity team, they would be more than happy to you know, use an open source model mm-hmm. within their internal infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, so in what scenarios might uh, an LLM-based bot pose a potential hazard in the realm of cybersecurity? So, um, these bots are typically trained on publicly available data, like the worldwide data. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and the, the models are getting really efficient and it, they're growing exponentially. Just to give mm-hmm. you an idea, I think GPT-3 was trained in about 150 billion parameters, whereas GPT-4 is trained on 100 trillion parameters. So that's a massive exponential growth. So the larger the data set, the more mm-hmm. powerful these models are. And because of that, it also opens up the can of worms where you know, threat actors and uh, hackers can leverage the same models. Mm-hmm. Um, just for for example, uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, I saw about a model that has been trained on um, dark web and deep web. Mm-hmm. So you have all kinds of hacking tools, information, um, uh, exposed uh, sensitive data lying around in these uh, dark net and dark web areas. So. Imagine having a model being trained on that. So mm-hmm. the model knows everything about hacking tools. It knows about all the vulnerabilities. It know it has all the sensitive data that it's required to, you know, um, come up with a, a very sophisticated social engineering mm-hmm. attack. Or it, it could even um, predict zero-day vulnerabilities <laughs> based on the patterns of the past zero-day vulnerabilities that are already um, mm-hmm. identified and the data already present in uh, dark web. So. Yeah, in that sense, mm-hmm. um, the models are quite powerful for both offensive and defensive mm-hmm. uh, in nature. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that. I mean, especially because for I think the vast public, right? Mm-hmm. These uh, LLMs are more of a new, at least in the past couple months, uh, for just people in general. But that means they're also putting whatever they want as they're going into these uh, language models. Uh, that's a lot of sensitive data, data a lot of the time. So it really is just kind of a new almost just a new attack vector for um, for those threat actors, definitely. Yes, there are quite a handful of perils that I can think of in using large language models. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the point that we just talked about is generating malicious content. That is, mm-hmm. that is one of the aspects of it. But then there comes data privacy problem where so the general public uses these models as a uh, as an alternative for search engines sometimes to get um, quick information without having to go to multiple sites you mm-hmm. just ask these models a question and it gets you the answer right there then and there mm-hmm. but 
the way they get the answers right then and there, it means they have a, a robot that, that yeah. goes out and, and scraps these data and gets trained with that publicly available data. Mm -hmm. um, then there is, uh, there are, there are issues uh, very specific to the very nature of these models. Like prompt injection is one example mm -hmm. where, um, well, you could you could force the models to circumvent the gates in place mm -hmm. and answer some questions that are they're not supposed to answer, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what prompt injection is. But in the last uh, few months, personally, from my usage of these large language models, I mm -hmm. I am quite um, uh, convinced that there are two problems that is going to be the biggest challenge in terms of large language models. One is hallucination. Another is drifting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hallucination is where, by the very nature of these models, they tend to answer the question by appropriation because they are generally predictive engines, right? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you ask a model what is two plus two, it's going to give you the answer as four, mm -hmm. not because it did the arithmetic of, you know, adding two plus two, but it just predicts that the most possible answer is four. Mm -hmm. So the very nature of these models is to get the the predictive aspect of it. And mm -hmm. Because of that. Sometimes it could, you know, provide you with information that is factually incorrect or inaccurate. <laughs> because, say, for example, um, I asked this engine about one of our managed engine solutions, and I asked, like, mm -hmm. tell me what this managed engine product does. And it gave me a one-page summary of uh, the capabilities of the product, which is not something that we have developed. I know for a fact that we didn't build those capabilities. Our solution doesn't have that capabilities. Yeah. But the fact is these models take the, the keywords and go out and search all content in, in, in the world, in the World Wide Web, and then mm -hmm. it comes up with a, a product that doesn't exist in the market. It summarizes a product that doesn't even mm -hmm. exist in the market. See, that's one example of a hallucination. And drifting is a pretty recent problem. I would say just the last two, three weeks, it's, it's mm -hmm. getting some um, media attention. So drifting is where these vendors who build these large language models uh, try to improvise it and improve it. Like just to give you an example, like the arithmetic problem, they're not really good at you know mm -hmm. multiplication or division of numbers. Anything mm -hmm. more than five digits, it's go haywire. Mm -hmm. So obviously the vendors would like to focus in that area and fix that problem by making it more efficient in arithmetic. But the problem is when they you know, close a hole by making it or improving it in that area, mm -hmm. they don't know what else is going to break down. Maybe fixing an arithmetic problem will break the way it generates images or videos. Yeah. That is kind of what drifting is all about. Mm -hmm. So it's nearly impossible for you to <coughs> test a large language model in its entirety for everything mm -hmm. you want it to do, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. in that sense, there are, there are some um, uh, security and privacy concerns. I mean, we, I, I, I've been seeing um, large organizations like accidentally sharing their internal process documents <laughs> in the hopes of, you know, uh, improving that content. Yep. But accidentally, <clears throat> they've shared their internal process data. So, yeah, organizations should uh, think twice before mm -hmm. how and when they leverage these models and what exactly do they share with these models. It kind of dovetails pretty well into my next question here. Just like what safeguards should be put in place when integrating uh, these models into organizations and cybersecurity infrastructure? So based on the use cases and the requirements you have, the first choice you're going to make is whether you should sign up uh, and subscribe for a large language model service mm -hmm. or you are going to put an open source large language model in place and train it with your own set of data. So mm -hmm. this, the, the answer for this question completely relies upon what your requirements are. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, for um, ICS, OT networks, and enterprise ID security, 
I don't see any reason why you would need a, a large language model service. Mm -hmm. Because enterprises, like I said before, they generate a huge volume of data. So let's say, for example, your enterprise works from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's your usual mm -hmm. business hours. Yeah. And you have the login data of everybody who had logged into the system for the past five years. Now with that data, you can train a model on yourself and uh, easily gain valuable insights. So mm -hmm. if someone logs into your system at Saturday night, you could get an alert saying like, this doesn't look usual. Somebody should take a look at it. So mm -hmm. you don't really have to sign up to an external uh, large language model service mm -hmm. to get that valuable insight. You could mm -hmm. do it on your own, within your own infrastructure. Um, and that would be the first step in protecting your sensitive data and mm -hmm. your critical infrastructure by not exposing your, 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 your data and your architecture and your plans and all of that mm -hmm. to the external network. I mean, that's a, a general principle with or without LLM. But with LLM, you have to be even more cautious on what you share and how you use it. Mm. And there's one question that we always like to ask all of our guests, uh, and it's, I mean, what are some best practices or suggestions you would give to these, especially our audience, like the OT security, you know, plant floor individuals, and um, how what they should, I guess, do to help protect their, their devices and connected systems? So yeah, that's a good question. So in, in, in terms of um, large language models at mm -hmm. least, the verdict is still not out yet. So the governments <laughs> are still looking at yes. the models on, like there's also a, a legal aspect of it, there's also a moral aspect of it, like mm -hmm. how did it get trained? Like is it really a public data and are they all open to public? Um, so those questions are there. So my suggestion would be for the enterprises to, you know, a, a, look at security solutions mm -hmm. that leverage AI as a, as a principle in their own architecture. Mm -hmm. So for instance, in Manage Engine, we built our own deep learning engine named Zia, I think about five years ago. So mm -hmm. it has grown exponentially, it's much more efficient now mm -hmm. than how it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. So there are vendors out there who have heavily invested in research and development in their own AI models mm -hmm. within, their own, uh, within their own organization. So instead of uh, you having to do the groundwork of you know downloading an open source uh, large language model, training it, and all of it, these enterprises should look at IT security and OT security solutions out there in the market with vendors who have already invested heavily on research and development. That's a much more safer route to take because mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about data security and privacy concerns or mm -hmm. even legal aspects of it because of the fact that you're not the one signing up for the service on your own. So the vendors obviously would have done their groundwork um, they would either have um, uh, bring your own key type of integration with models, so it's an it's a it's an opt-in model where unless you want to use mm -hmm. an external LLM, you don't have to. Otherwise, it's all about just using your internal data and training it. So that would be my suggestion mm -hmm. for enterprises looking to leverage uh, mm -hmm. large language models or AI uh, in their security infrastructure. Uh, one fun question we had, we've asked it one other time, I think, is especially with. I mean, the rise of artificial intelligence in the regard that it is now, mm -hmm. as well as uh, large language models. Um, what do you see as being like the next big threat that as it comes with that? So we've heard like social engineering techs are going to improve yep. greatly. Yep. Um, what, what do you see as either uh, the next big threat or maybe another previous one compounds because of this? What do you kind of see down the road? So um, there are two 
two points that I would say is yes. um, the next immediate threat. So there's going to be a wave of malware attacks that we've never seen before, the type of attacks that we've never seen before, for the fact that there are models being trained using these large language models for, for bots and uh, malwares mm -hmm. that can quite easily circumvent our traditional EDR systems and heuristic systems in place. Mm -hmm. So heuristic systems in general are trained to uh, predict what a malware does and identify it as a malware based on its behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that and uh, the models know that too and when they generate a malware, they could easily m make the malware designed in such a way that it can quite easily sidestep any uh, traditional endpoint security detection and response systems in place. So that would be the first um, um, problem that I can think of. The second problem is about um, the generalization of data. So the larger the volume of AI-generated data that gets exposed out in public, you're gonna lose any credibility to valid, genuine, hard fact data that is already out there, right? So mm -hmm. there's already hundreds and hundreds and thousands of images generated by AI, so every everywhere, like in, in social media. So it probably will get to a point where we don't know what's real and what's AI generated <laughs> and what's factual and infactual. I mean, we already had this problem mm -hmm. with, uh, with, the, with the rise of social media and uh, the exposure of social media mm -hmm. to the large public, but at least it, 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 it is always the human-generated data. I mean, whether it's a fact or an inc inaccurate information, it mm -hmm. was human generated by hand and it was much smaller in size so you can't even compare the quantity mm -hmm. of junk and invalid data that these AI models can generate, right? So that would be the second uh, problem that I can foresee happening in future. Yeah, I know one of the conversations we kind of had yesterday, uh, the guy we were speaking to, he referred to now with like everybody going to be using like these AI models to yep. generate whatever. Uh, we're going to be entering the era of the great sameness. Yep. In a sense that yep. it's going to be all generating the same yep. thing, it's all going to blend together. Yep, yep. And not only that, uh, the, 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 the data and, and the, the images and everything the AI generates, it uses self-attention to learn from it, right? The mm -hmm. more you consume it and the more it's out there, mm -hmm. the more it becomes the normalcy. Mm -hmm. So you, there's, there's a problem where you don't have any room for improvisation because you've yes. already generated everything mm -hmm. and you've assumed this is the best there is and mm -hmm. you kind of get stuck with what is out there in the, in the World Wide Web and that mm -hmm. is definitely a serious problem. And I already see governments um, and other government agencies looking into those aspects. I've, I've heard some uh, government agencies outright uh, banning the usage of large language models in certain areas, yeah. uh, at least uh, the external services that are, you know, um, uh, trained using the mm -hmm. World Wide Web data set. And then um, I think there's going to be a point where every, every organization can opt out of being, you know, their website or their data mm -hmm. out there in the world by being scrapped, mm -hmm. just like robot.txt, right? So uh, they would all have to voluntarily opt out. Otherwise, these models are going to just scrap your data, mm -hmm. train themselves, and share information mm -hmm. without anyone having to actually visit your page or visit mm -hmm. your business data mm -hmm. in, in, in the World Wide Web. But that is, again, a challenge. Mm. All right, well, Ganesh, thanks for sitting down with us and uh, talking. Thanks for your time, Tyler. It was a pleasure meeting you. All right, that was my conversation with Ganesh live at Black Hat 23. 
uh, it was a great conversation with them. I thought he had a lot of great things to say. Um, you know, it was, yeah, like we were talking about at the beginning, it was a huge conversation conversation around uh, large language models. I mean, as he was talking about, they're important. Uh, they're going to grow in importance. One of the things I kind of thought was very interesting they said was, you know, there's a lot of LLMs as a service out there um, within ICS and OT. He said that we really shouldn't be focusing on LLMs as a service. You know, we should just be building our own LLM with our own infrastructure. I mean, as he was talking about, there's several reasons to do that. The biggest one, honestly, is just information security, information privacy, uh, because you're using your own information. It's all self-contained. You don't have to worry about your third party vendor necessarily having access to your data or even more importantly, a threat actor attacking them and getting access to your data and um, just learning all your all your little little secrets and, and things like that. Just just as another form of protection, you know, keeping everything self-contained within your own company and internal. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. The thing that I took away from that, well, I took several things away from that. Let's be honest. There were many things I learned. Were- but uh, but the one thing that stuck with me after that was uh, when he was talking about large language models, we, we mentioned at the beginning that they can be used for offense and defense and that they can be trained. Uh, he was talking about uh, the fact that he saw a large language model that had been trained on the dark web, which is kind of a scary concept. I mean, sure, of course people are doing this. But, uh, but you know, if you think about what that means... That means it knows all about hacking tools and vulnerabilities and that, you know, it's it also can create a relatively novel attack, something that people haven't seen before because it's been trained on all these things. And, uh, you know, the sort of heuristic models are trained, as he said, to to detect patterns. And this is, you know, these these newly trained LLMs could come at you with a pattern that nobody's seen before, which I don't know if you can call that a pattern. Is it a pattern if no one's seen it before? I don't think so. No, I, think I don't think it is. More than three no. times. <laughs> Let's just call it a novel attack. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting and and kind of a, a scary thought coming out of that. But again, not surprising that people are using it for uh, for good and evil. Um, the other thing that I thought was really, I, I mean, this is probably my my own ignorance on this, but I love the when he was talking about the shortcomings of large language models. I love that one of the shortcomings is called hallucination which I had never heard it called this before, but it's the perfect term for it, which is when these large language models essentially make up information because man, are they convincing? It sounds right. It sounds good. You know, if you, if we were trying to write an article and trust me, Tyler and I have done this before where uh, we want to look at an old attack that happened and you put in enough prompts, it'll tell you about an attack and it sounds really convincing and oh man, it hit these big companies and it was it was on OTICS and and then you start to look it up and you're like, this, this attack never happened. It just fabricated this attack and that being called hallucination is a great thing. But yeah, it is it is definitely something uh, that these large language models can do. Like he was talking about the idea that it can... Sum, it, you know, he had put some information in and it basically summarized this wonderful product that it doesn't ex- that doesn't exist. Yeah, I wonder as we're you know progressing more with these, how big of an issue this becomes with just general hallucinations. Just because, yeah, like you said, when we're we've tried writing articles before, it's very convincing. They give hard numbers. They being I'm personifying a uh, inanimate object here. But, you know, the the chat GPTs of the world, it'll give you hard numbers that seem relatively believable but as soon as and links if you ask for links tying to sources but as soon as you click those links you get a 404 error on those pages so it's just 
you know, splicing together information of what you th- it thinks you want to hear, which is which is uh, the issue that we're kind of currently facing with some of these larger language models uh, right now. Absolutely. So fun podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thanks to Kanish for being on the podcast. We are happy to be back with you and get to do our wonderful intros and outros again. We miss doing the podcast. Uh, well, again, we did a ton for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. If you haven't listened, go back and listen. Um, but happy to be back with this one. And, you know, always stop by our site at icspulse.com for great information on all kinds of stuff. We've got videos, podcasts, uh, articles, webcasts, ebooks, anything and everything you could possibly imagine. If you ever want to get in touch with us for any reason to complain or compliment, you can reach me at G-C-O-H-E-N at cfemedia.com. And you can reach me at T-W-A-L-L-T-W-A-L at cfemedia.com. Thanks so much for being with us. We will talk to you again soon. Stay safe out there. And for God's sake, stay safe out there. <laughs>